Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. The Hoop Collective with Brian Winhurst focuses on life in and around the NBA Finals. Twice a week, Brian is joined by ESPN NBA insiders, including Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps, every Friday. And during the NBA Finals, check out post-game podcasts with Brian and a combination of Zach Lowe and Kendrick Perkins. That's the Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on YouTube. Also, ESPN's Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever. The story of how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transformed basketball's place in the culture, defined the lives of the players who starred in them, and changed the game itself forever. Starting June 1st, stream on ESPN Plus and listen to the companion 30 for 30 podcast, A Streetball Mixtape, exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about what is inevitable with Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz. We also got your voicemails, and if you haven't heard, but first... All right, all right, all right. So we haven't done a podcast uh, since the NBA Finals got started. We had game one go down. Boston put the hurt on them boys in the fourth quarter and honestly had us all just looking at them like, yo, this team is better than the Warriors, period. Like, regardless of what happens, it felt very clear after watching that game, even though what came from Boston was late, an incredible shooting display that's probably not replicable, it still felt like, this team is better, or at the very least, this team has better players, right? They got better players. They got a good coach. Okay, cool. The only thing with Boston, and I think I said this going into the series, I can see the Warriors winning in six, or I can even see the Celtics winning in five, right? Like talent-wise, I feel like the Celtics should probably win this in five. It wouldn't surprise me if this is one of those series where the young emerging team it's facing the older team that has the championships, but honestly isn't as good as they used to be, and then just kind of runs them off the floor. Like, this happens. We've seen it. 2004 finals with the Pistons and the Lakers is an example. Now, the Lakers had all their stuff going on in their own thing, so don't get me wrong. I'm not pretending as though these are, like, perfectly substitutable situations, but I think you guys understand what I'm talking about here. Like, if you watch that game, watch game one, and just look at Boston being bigger than the Warriors, because the thing about the Warriors in their heyday that I think was underrated is as much as we think about them as being a team that played small, that's not really true. Like Steph Curry for his position is a big guard. Klay Thompson is a big guard. When they had Harrison Barnes and of course Kevin Durant, those dudes are big for their positions. Draymond Green's the only one who isn't really, but he's super long-armed and versatile. Then we started talking about the big man. They always had big men, right? It was always Andrew Bogut or an Azili or Zaza or JaVale McGee or whatever it is. But they were always big. It don't look like that in this series, right? Like Marcus Smart's bigger than Steph Curry. Jalen Brown's about as big as Klay Thompson. Jason Tatum is bigger than Andrew Wiggins. Like go up and down the line. Like they are a bigger team. And that's something I think with the Warriors it just always been underrated is they really were position for position going with a size advantage. They don't really have that here. 
And so you've got this younger team that's got more guys that can get their own shots and don't have anybody. Well, they had Robert Williams running around there on one leg and him being hurt, I think is going to be a thing if he can't wind up coming back. But it just seemed like the Celtics had a different level of talent. Then the Warriors come out in game two and blow their doors off, right? And early, I thought Boston was going to run them out of the building. Like, I thought it was one of those situations where the young boys had finally gotten their heads around the fact that they were actually better and decided they were going to demonstrate that they were better. And early, it looked like that was what was going to happen. You had Draymond Green already on the verge of flipping out, right? Like, the desperation in Golden State that it's game two. And Draymond is already on the I might be crazy program because nobody want to mess with a crazy dude. You know what I mean? And so he's already acting borderline crazy. And I was like, wow, it's really early for this. I look two, three minutes into the game and the Warriors are playing zone. And people tell me they play zone in the first minute of the game all the time. I've seen them play zone. I don't recall it coming up that early. And I'm sorry, I would. you got to play zone against me early. I'm like, oh, we got y'all. And I thought they did. And then the second half came and the Warriors just ran them out the gym. It was oogly by the time that came around. Now, a lot about the Celtics feels new. And when the things feel new, we get overwhelmed to just talking about everything that we like about the thing that's new, especially when the new thing exceeds our expectations. And I would make the argument that in this case, the new thing is Ime Udoka, right? who has obviously done a great job overall with the Celtics. There's no way around this. It wasn't just that they went 28-7 and seven after that point in the year where they were looking like a 500 team. They led the league in offensive and defensive efficiency in that stretch of time, right? Like we seem to see a crazy level of growth from Jason Tatum and a crazy level of growth from Jalen Brown, right? And all the other guys understanding what their roles were and what it was that they were supposed to do. We saw all of that. They've gotten to the NBA Finals, okay? We have noticed that these boys have a difficulty with just locking in and putting somebody away, okay? We saw that in the Miami series. They had the chance for game six, didn't do it. We saw in the Milwaukee series, had the chance for game six, didn't do it. You can say that they swept the nets, but go look at those margins of victory in that series, right? Like, they weren't really just out there thumping when it came time to thump, and I don't know how much of that has to do with the coach. I don't know how much of that has to do with the players. I do believe that the Celtics have a short attention span. <laughs> I think that's maybe the best way that I can look at them is these boys have a short attention span. Okay, this is where I think we honestly have no choice but to criticize Udoka a bit and it's something to consider, which is they keep getting smoked in the third quarters. Now, our general logic about basketball and all these things is the halftime adjustments, right? And that a team goes in at halftime, that's when the coach is really going to shine. You got about 15 minutes, let them know what the new program is, and then we come out here and we get it done. And the Warriors in both of these third quarters have destroyed them. And if we're keeping it real, this has been the MO for the Celtics for the entirety of the postseason. I'm going to pull this up right now because ESPN.com threw out some really staggering numbers about what the Celtics do and don't do in the third quarter. And this is from Tim Bontemps. Let me go ahead and give him his credit here. They got the two worst third quarters in the playoffs this year. They've been outscored by at least 14 points four times in the playoffs. Four times. And three of those games have been road losses. Overall, they've been outscored in the third quarter by 37 points. And last night, they had more turnovers in the third quarter than field goals. 
Yes. Yes. That's a problem, guys. Right? Like, if you go play every game just talking up, we're going to lose some margin in the third quarter. We're going to have to bring it in the fourth. It's not even going to be a matter of us holding on. We're going to probably have to bring it and come back. Man, that's a tough go, especially with a team that's got miles on it, especially with a team that's got some measure of experience. Now, the question that I got about the Warriors, though, on the flip side of that is, how much did it take for them to do what they did last night? Because they were already in hunger mode, right? They were already in champions got to do this mode. And I honestly feel like Draymond Green was comporting himself like a man who knew that that other team was better. You know, Clay Thompson, I've had Warriors fans get mad at me. I heard y'all, a lot of people get salty with me when I said that Clay Thompson was finished. What more do you need to see is all I'm asking you. Like, that's it. What, what else is it that you need to see from him? It is possible that he'll have one of these games where he goes off. Yeah, okay. But look at everything else. He's struggling to stay in front of people on defense. He's having trouble getting his shot. And I know that the point was made last night that he was just hurrying his shot. But, I mean, why you got to hurry? You Clay Thompson, right? Like, maybe you could say it's just that, you know, he's coming back after being out for a while. But he's been back for a minute now. I just don't think the dude's that good at this point. Do you think Jordan Poole is somebody that you can count on? And then, of course, Draymond Green, who, offensive liability. There's no way around it. He's getting the ball, and them dudes are just backing up like, hey, man, what you about to do? Because I know you ain't about to do nothing. What are you about to do? Like, all of those things happen to be the case. But if Boston just keeps, you know, pissing the game away in the third quarter, then what's it going to be? What chance is it that they then honestly have? And so... We might be in for a back-and-forth series. But if we're in for a back-and-forth series, to me, it is just because somehow Boston still isn't mature enough to just do it when it's got to be done. And I don't really understand that because while this team is relatively young, you can't say they don't have stripes. And some of these guys ain't that young. Like Marcus Smart, if I'm not mistaken, is what? In his eighth year? Something like that? Jalen Brown's in his sixth year. Jason Tatum's fifth year. And the years have all been going to the playoffs. Like, they've been down this road before. They are at a point where they should be mature enough to come out here and win a championship, right? They should be mature enough to come out here and be like, hey, man, what happened before isn't going to happen again. And I thought that that step was happening at the beginning of game two. And when we were starting getting to halftime of game two, I was like, it doesn't feel like the Warriors are winning. Right. And maybe that's a measure of just like how I walked into the game in the first place. But I didn't come away from that feeling like the Warriors were the team that was ahead. It felt to me like, hey, the Celtics are the team that's better. Okay, a little close, a little behind right now. No problem. They're going to come out here and they're going to make this thing happen. And that is not what happened, ladies and gentlemen. That is not. They just went out there and got their asses kicked. That's all it came down to. And they can't do it like this again. Like, I don't feel like if you're Boston, you can chance this like you did in these previous series and let these things run to seven. If you got to go play a seventh game against some for real deal champions in their house, who's betting on that? Who legitimately feels good about that if you Boston? You can't. I just don't see any way that you possibly can so them boys better come out here and bring it, and they coach better figure out what it is that he need to say to them at halftime. I don't know what he's talking to them about, right? I don't know if he just go to the bathroom and stay in there and don't come back, right? Maybe he need to try the thing that uh, a freshman basketball coach, Coach Kenny, God rest his soul. Coach Kenny came in one time. Coach Kenny gave two halftime speeches that I'll never forget. What I was um, receiving 
and the other I simply witness. The one I simply witness is he comes in at halftime and says, y'all play like shit and that's the bottom line and then when it took an open door piss. The other one was a post-gamer and I, 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 I was there for that. And my man hit it with, this is the only part I remember. Y'all play like shit. Y'all look like shit. Y'all acted like shit. And on the bus ride home, y'all better not say shit. Bro, I was 13 years old. <laughs> the law was laid down. Baby, that's what eBay need to do. He just need to come in there, say one sentence, leave the door open and take a leap. Maybe that'll make them cats get, the, get, get, get it out there. I don't know. Maybe that's what he need to say after the game last time, right? Y'all play like shit. Y'all look like shit. Y'all act like shit. And on the flight home, y'all ain't about to say shit. Maybe that'll work. Give, give it a try, dog. I'm telling you. It'll surprise them. Maybe that's what you need to do. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. All right, uh, Quinn Snyder quit his job as the coach of the Utah Jazz. Uh, he resigned. He just said that he feels like the team needs a different voice. He went and had a hip surgery, detached a little bit from the season, put that word out like clockwork or something approximating clockwork not too long after that. We got the report from Woj that Donovan Mitchell was surprised and disappointed. I believe the word unnerved was used to describe his reaction to Quinn Snyder leaving as head coach. He said he felt like part of why he signed his contract extension was because Quinn Snyder was the coach. So, oh, man, what we going to do? I feel like what Donovan Mitchell is hitting us with is a little bit of an okie doke, just a little bit. And the reason I'm saying that is, dog, you signed a five-year extension and Quinn Snyder had been there since 2014. Who do you think he was? Red Auerbach? Greg Popovich? You thought he was going to be there forever? Like, come on, man. You couldn't be signing no contract on the, oh, man, now the coach isn't here. I don't think I want to be here anymore. That would have been silly. Like, if it just hinged on the fact that Quinn was going to be there, you probably needed to have a longer talk with Quinn before you signed that deal. Maybe he would have told you, hey, dog, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be here, but I can't make no promises, right? Maybe that's the play. I don't know. What seems to be very clear is Donovan Mitchell don't want to be there no more, right? For whatever the reason is, he doesn't want to continue to play for the Utah Jazz, right? Maybe it's about Rudy. Maybe it's about the city. Maybe it's about him simply seeing the ceiling on that team. I don't know what exactly the answer is, okay? I have two thoughts on this. Number one, who the hell is Donovan Mitchell? 
And when I say who the hell is Donovan Mitchell, what I mean is I think Donovan Mitchell is a very good player. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is a player that you hold on to at all costs. Right. And and part of that is you guys kind of know how I like my basketball players. Like I can appreciate the fact that he can go out there and get them buckets for you when you need them. I don't appreciate the fact that I don't think he does enough other stuff to justify him just being bucket getting guy. If he's not getting you buckets, I don't really know what it is that he's providing. And his get bucket thing is kind of singularly focused. He's not my type of player. He's not the best player on your team if you're trying to win a championship. He's not the best player on the Utah Jazz. Okay? This is just where I am with him. It's no shade. But I don't think there's any franchise that a star player can have more leverage over than the Utah Jazz. And the reason is no franchise is more terrified that you want to leave than the Utah Jazz. And if they were not already the most terrified franchise that you, star player, might want to leave, they absolutely became the most terrified franchise of such a thing when they couldn't keep Gordon Hayward. Now look, I get where they're coming from. I think it was the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. When uh, Hayward left, he did an interview where he got up and he said basically, he, he, he said the quiet part out loud. He's like, if we can't keep a white American player in Utah, who can we keep? So you see what I'm saying here about the thing with Donovan Mitchell, right? They're out here like, who can we keep if that's going to be the case? It's a fair question. But as a result, we're starting to see them give Donovan Mitchell like the super duper star treatment. And Dwayne Wade's a big part of trying to keep Mitchell around. All of those things. Got it. I feel like I've seen this movie many times before, okay? And in this movie, Donovan Mitchell asked to be traded every single time that I've seen it, right? He asked to be traded. Now, you make the decision on whether or not you want to trade him, right? Maybe you make the call like, no, he's going to get out here and ball, and you're going to see it's cool, and you're going to want to stay. And I can give you examples of that strategy working. I don't know how many of them are that recent. Akeem Olajuwon in 1991 or two. I think it's 91. The Rockets did this with him. And by the way, didn't even make no moves to make the team better. Wound up being champions. Kobe Bryant in 2007 wanted to be traded. The Lakers are like, LOL, kept him, went to the finals the next three years. Okay, The team doesn't necessarily have to bow down and bend in this. Counterpoint, of course, is James Harden, who like, okay, I said I want to go, right? All right. We can all be miserable if you want to. Got it. Got it. Whatever. You know? But if you're Utah, why wait? Utah made one of the boldest trades I could ever think of. I want to say they made this trade in 2011. And, you know, me saying that, those of you, you know, y'all probably remember exactly what I'm talking about when they just woke up one day and traded Darren Williams, right? Darren Williams had driven Jerry Sloan so crazy that he just got up and quit. By the way, I had all the respect in the world for Jerry Sloan on that. He was just like, hey, man, I don't feel like this. This ain't what I want to do. I've been doing this too long. I'm too old. Y'all want to keep him? That's cool, but I'm out. And they kept him and Jerry Sloan quit. And then one day we woke up, and I want to say that they traded him for 
like Devin Harris, Derek Favors in a first round pick or something like that. But nobody saw it coming. Like they really just got on the phone with the Nets and were like, so what would you give us for Darren Williams? And then they just worked out a trade and went from there. Like it didn't have to turn into a big uh, to-do. And I honestly think that probably maximized their leverage because what they did was they made the Nets bet on what the market might be later. Perhaps take a little savings now. Save yourself a lot of stress because you know the way this game is going to play out. And that's where I am with them on Mitchell. I feel pretty confident you know where this is going to go. So get him out of here. Now, you, you have the other option. And that option is to trade Rudy Gobert. And you can do that. But I'm just telling you, Rudy Gobert isn't the dude that's going to be trying to get out of there. At least not anytime soon, at least not from what I see. You could trade Rudy Gobert, and I have no idea what you get for Rudy Gobert if you do it. But you can trade Rudy Gobert if you want to. That ain't going to make Donovan Mitchell not want to leave no more because the part that makes you afraid that he wants to leave isn't changing because Rudy Gobert ain't the president of the Chamber of Commerce. He ain't the governor. He ain't the one that make Utah, Utah. I've never been to Utah, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just telling you as much of these cats in the league that ain't really trying to play there. And they are afraid there's a bunch of cats in the league who ain't really trying to play there. So to me, you need to go ahead and do this before the draft if you can. I don't know who you get back. I don't know what you get back. I don't know whatever it is. But I put a stamp on that dude and I go. Do you think it's an either or with Mitchell and Rudy? Or do you think they could potentially deal both of them? This is my thought. If you deal them both, you are absolutely starting over, which is not the worst idea, right? Like I would not blame them if they made the call to absolutely start over. But I think with Utah, their belief is whatever they're going to do with players, they're probably going to need to do it in their first seven years while they have the contract control over them. And then maybe hope you can get another Mike Conley situation where you get an older dude who's just trying to win this and just like, look, I'm only going to be here for six months anyway. I ain't got to live here in the off season, da, da, da. You know, maybe that's the play that you wind up making. I just don't see any way that this ends positively with them, with Mitchell. And I feel like if you have been listening to this podcast, you understand something. I'm generally pretty correct when I'm like, hey, this thing is over, right? Like when it looks over, it's probably over. Now, Gabe, something else interesting happened. I I was looking this up last night, and apparently there was a report maybe about a week ago, give or take, that the Heat would be an option to trade for Donovan Mitchell, perhaps in a trade that was centered around uh, Tyler Hero and some picks. Now, number one, I got to say, I'm not sure that getting Donovan Mitchell for Tyler Hero necessarily makes your team better. I'm not saying that I think Tyler Hero is a better player. I don't feel good about that, but ain't either one of them guarding nobody, right? They get buckets in different ways. I'd rather have Tyler Fatiro getting buckets the way he gets them than Donovan Mitchell getting buckets the way he gets them. Right? That's my read here. I'm just telling you this right now. Utah Jazz, I just want to make sure you hear me if this is a trade that you're considering making. And maybe it's a trade that you would make, right? Tyler Hero will retire before he come play for the Utah Jazz. Have you seen that boy on the sidelines during the playoffs during, during the, during the playoffs when he wasn't playing? Did you see them shades? Did you see them suits? Can you imagine how bummed out you would be if you were him and you got traded from the Miami Heat to the Utah Jazz? Bro, he ain't going. I had somebody hit me with something and be like, yeah, well, you know, he's from the Wisconsin suburbs. You think he's trying to go back to that sh-? Yeah, that's where he's from. Okay. Everybody got this mistake. Yeah, yeah, just because he grew up around it. Oh, he'll be fine. He don't want to be fine. He want to be balling. He's trying to be pimping. He's trying to be on a yacht. I ain't never seen no yacht in the Great Salt Lake. 
He trying to be on a yacht, dog. He trying to live a completely different life. Like Duncan, they're like, oh, well, Duncan Robinson, he'll be. Why do you think white people want to live in Utah? Go look up the population statistics. People that had all kinds of opportunities to move to Utah. They don't want to do it. They pulled off a great 20 years where they managed to find two dudes who were really cool with being in Utah. Carl Malone and John Stockton. It worked for them. Then they went and got old Jeff Hornacek. He could make that go. Think he from Iowa or something like that. I don't know exactly what it came down to. The only person I can recall whoever was just really charged up about, yeah, give me Utah, was a dude who lied to a blind man in order to make it happen. And don't get me wrong, I would have lied to the blind man too. That was a lot of money. For $30 million, that blind man could be mad at me. It happens. I'm just saying that's what they had to do in order to make it happen. To get like a big free agent to come in there, they had to get a dude who, by the way, is from Alaska. They had to get him, and they had to pay him like $20, $30 million more than the blind man was going to pay him. Maybe they could have got away with it for 15 over or half, whatever the difference was. But Carlos was like, dog, man, that man blind. Even he could see another $15 million. And then Carlos went down there. You know what I'm saying? But that's where they are. Like that, that as a team, as a franchise. That's what the whole thing is that they got to put together. And maybe they can put together such a well-run franchise that you could be like Oklahoma City, who got Russell Westbrook to sign two contracts, who got Paul George to sign that extension when he was there, right? Maybe that's what you need to pull up. I don't know what exactly it is, but everything about the Donovan Mitchell situation seems to imply that it's over. And if you don't believe it's over, let me tell you what's not going to go over well. If this dude gets out here and is rumbling about everything that goes down and the reports have gotten out of them, hiring his security guy on the payroll and all of that stuff, which, by the way, is just standard fare in the NBA. It's not that big a deal. But when all that stuff starts getting out, you better play well when you come back out here. Because if they come out here and they start slow and he's out here on Jackham Joe and it ain't working, everybody's going to be looking at him. And it's going to reach a point where they have to trade him. And that's when you're going to have a hard time getting something back. What's today? Today to, uh, today is 6. The draft's on the 23rd. I would try to have that dude trade about the 15th. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bomani, this first story comes from business. I'm Alicia Wallace, and I'm a senior writer with CNN Business. When you think of Scott's Miracle Grow, what probably comes to mind are products to help you grow your lawn, your garden, or products to help you kill weeds. But during the past several years, this century and a half year old firm has made a concerted effort to expand into a new area the cannabis industry. Since 2014, Scott's, through its Hawthorne Gardening Company subsidiary, has spent about $1 billion in buying up the category leaders in the hydroponics business. And as cannabis has grown, so has Hawthorne, to the point where at the end of last year, Hawthorne's sales were almost 30% of Scott's overall revenue. Now, Scott's entrance into cannabis shouldn't come as a surprise to folks who have followed the firm closely. Back in 2011, Scott's CEO told the Wall Street Journal he saw great potential there. He told the paper, quote, I want to target the pot market. There's no good reason we haven't. And while he made his ambitions quite clear, intentions and actions are two very different things, especially when it comes to a 
product that was then and still to this day remains federally illegal. So Scott's not wanting to run afoul of regulations set by bankers and stock exchanges. It went the ancillary route or to provide it in the gold rush terms and went the picks and shovels route. So instead of Scott's mining and selling the gold, it was instead providing the supplies to do so. Now, Scott's isn't stopping at hydroponics. Most recently, the company has backed legalization efforts in states such as New Jersey, and it's even entered into a creative financing arrangement that could eventually allow it to grow and sell cannabis itself. But for that to occur, cannabis would need to become federally legal. And Scott's tells me that they're pretty bullish on that happening. Chris Hagedorn, who's the president of Hawthorne, told me that, quote, federal legalization is obviously going to happen. The question is when and how. And when that does, Hagedorn said, they hope to be a big player. Hey, man, I ain't gonna lie. I mean, I do think this is a wise business play, right? All of this. I mean, and the brands are obviously, the brand is obviously complimentary with the idea. You know, they package and they stuff is green. You know what I'm saying? Like all of that comes together. But all this tells me is the CEO of Scott sounds like he smokes weed, right? Like, like we, one thing I don't think we've heard that much about is these other companies being loud and proud about being like auxiliary to the industry. Like you hear about the people that want to get their own greenhouses all going and get their, you know, like they want to sell a little weed. They might want to, you know, sell some paraphernalia, whatever it is. But we ain't had a company that we've really heard of. That's the key here. A company that we've heard of been like, yo, the weed is coming and we're going to be there when it happens. They normally a little bit too afraid of that. And I feel like this all sounds to me like the CEO of Scott's, when they ask him about this, like, hey, so it sounds like we're getting back into the cannabis space. He's like, that's right. It's from the earth. We, we are the earth. You know, like that's what you hear. Like, it, you know, it comes from the it comes from the ground. It comes from nature. We are the company of nature. We need to be involved in all things that are nature. That's what's happened here. Like, the thing is, if you ever meet with anybody that like runs in the cannabis space, and this is where it's going to be interesting with this. Like, you'd be messing around and going in their offices, and you just sit down and maybe a ball on the table, eight thirty in the morning, not offer it to you. Not because they being rude, but because it ain't an occasion for them. You mess around and go to the, the, the 18th floor at the Scotts building. You go mess around and go in there. You got no idea. Next thing you know, you look down there. But he got his papers out right there in front of you. Right next to the reports on why we going to make all this money on this weed. Right? Like they went and got on the hydroponics. I don't even know if that. I think he uses dirt either way. But they went and got all. Like they, that was all wise plays. That is what I will tell you. All wise plays. And just you wait. They're going to have grow your own weed kits coming soon to a Lowe's near you or whatever nursery y'all got in y'all's little town is coming. All right. This next story also comes from business. Hi, I'm Steve Zeitschik with the Washington Post. The tragic gun violence in cities like Buffalo, Uvalde, Tulsa, and elsewhere has made many of us clamor for solutions and action. Now, one less explored option that started to come online a little bit is via technology and something called smart guns. This is a technology that essentially ties a gun to its owner via either a biometric fingerprint or 
some kind of radio frequency in which the owner would wear a ring or some kind of carry some kind of chip that would activate the gun. And if the gun does not belong to that person, they're not the legal owner, then the gun simply wouldn't go off. A couple of companies, Lodestar out of Pennsylvania, Smart Guns out of Kansas, Biofire out of Colorado are developing products in this vein. A couple of them could be on the market later this year. Now, gun control advocates say this is a great idea. They say, well, one stop really, really tragic cases, situations like Uvalde, where the gun ownership was legal, or Buffalo for that matter, it might stop some other situations where somebody stole a gun or an underage person was able to acquire a gun, whether to do harm to others or to themselves. Now, the NRA and the gun lobby say they're not technically opposed to this. They're only opposed to mandates that would require people buy these smart guns. But history tells a slightly different story. In fact, when Smith & Wesson, a number of years ago, the gun giant started to explore this technology, they were hit with an NRA backlash, some boycotts, and it almost drove the company out of business. Most gun control activists say this is not the way to go, that we should be encouraging smart guns, not discouraging it because it can only make guns safer. Now, interestingly, one gun control group actually has raised some objections. They say maybe smart guns, for all the safety it seems to bring to the space, would actually put more guns on the streets. And that's not a good idea either. Like so much else in this area, it's a very rich solution potentially and a very fraught topic. I'm going to be honest with you. I am actually a little surprised. Well, maybe the NRA is a little different, but the idea that they don't want this to be mandated. I feel like mandating it is kind of like when a team changes jerseys. Now you got to go buy a new one, right? Like, like, or not even necessarily have to. I don't know. I think this is an interesting idea. And I think that the explanation that uh, the reporter gave, like kind of tempered things, I thought as I began to look at the story, which was this ain't going to stop the ones that really matter. And we also have a big giant problem, which is guns don't spoil. Guns don't expire. Okay. A gun that would have killed you a hundred years ago, that same gun will kill you right now. You might not be able to kill a hundred people with it like you can with some of this stuff. You know what I mean? But like these things are killing machines and they maintain their ability to be killing machines the computer that i'm on right now will be a paperweight in eight years the gun you have right now will be a killing machine for 100 years which kind of brings the question of like how many people are actually going to buy these new ones because it seems like a fantastic idea right i mean it seems like so many good things could come from having that and putting that in place I also hear it and I think to myself, yeah, the gun manufacturers will probably be okay with this because, you know, now they can sell more guns. This is a great angle for them to get in with the people who feel like having a gun is not the worst idea in the world. And I will tell you, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. It ain't the best, but I don't think it's the worst. It ain't the worst idea in the world to have a gun, but obviously unsafe for a number of reasons. And so if this mitigates the safety concern and boom, they got a way to sell more guns. It's right there. I just want to say this, though, about the Uvalde situation. We got such a big old giant problem with these guns, and then it trickles over to the guns, then affecting children. And then we just want somebody to make it right when the reality is we have a cultural institutional problem that that one police force was not going to fix. But this police department is getting some hell. And don't get me wrong. They deserve some measure of it. There's no way around that. Right. And it was nauseating to me as people were starting to have questions that I was watching that police chief do interviews and his number one talking point was the bravery of law enforcement and how we needed to give them all the credit in the world. 
And so I might stop short of calling them cowards, but they damn sure wasn't brave about this. And I don't blame them necessarily for not being brave because bravery isn't in all of us. Bravery is not something that just comes in every person, right? The idea that we can all be a hero. No, we can't. Some of us just ain't got it in us like that. I can't be positive to tell you exactly how I would have gotten down on that if I was there. But the reason that you got to hammer the cops on this one is y'all told us y'all was something that y'all weren't. And not only did you tell us y'all was something that y'all weren't, y'all made us buy into the idea that y'all was something that y'all weren't. You forced conscription into this army of people believing that they were something that they weren't. So now you got to answer for it because you're the one that told us we had to say it. This last story comes from education. So the reporter couldn't join us for it, so I figured I would just share it and then you could react to it. There was a report released this past week by the Campaign for College Opportunity about Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islander Californians and their college success. So Asian Americans are often seen as successful students, but the stereotype masks gaps in college outcomes among the multiple ethnic groups who make up the larger community in California. So California is home to about 6.8 million Asian Americans, the largest concentration in the nation, and about 332,000 Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders. Among the first-year full-time students who entered the UC in 2013, six-year graduation rates vary from about 90% for those of Chinese, Vietnamese, and Indian descent to about 70% for Samoans and Hmong undergraduates, according to the report. At CSU, about 85% of transfer students of Japanese and Filipino ancestry graduate in four to six years, compared with less than 70% for Native Hawaiian, Bangladeshi, and Tongan students. 59% of Asian Americans between the age of 25 and 64 have bachelor's degrees, the state's highest rate among racial or ethnic groups. Their overall six-year graduation rate of 88% is the highest in the UC system. Only 22% of Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander Californians have bachelor's degrees, one of the lowest rates in the state. And although 82% of Hawaiian and Pacific Islander Californians who entered high school in 2017 graduated, less than half completed the college prep coursework required for UC and Cal State admission. Michelle Sequeiros, president of the College Advocacy Organization, told the LA Times that the Asian American community in California is incredibly diverse and there are huge differences in terms of college preparation, college going, college success. It's really harmful to lump all the groups into a broad Asian American category together when we know that sort of model minority myth is absolutely harmful for subgroups that are not getting the kind of support or experiencing the kind of success that some groups are experiencing. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think the thing that I found to be interesting and that I really hadn't thought about was the harm. And I say the harm, I mean, in terms of having useful statistics, right? Useful, you know, useful data was the idea of putting together the Pacific Islanders and the quote unquote Asians, right? I mean, and I don't I mean, I don't mean to say, quote unquote, I think you understand where I'm coming from. Like when people think of Asians, I think they think primarily of East Asians. They don't think of South Asians as being Asians per se in their minds when they're thinking of Asians. But when you throw the number, you know, throw them together, everybody's in the same pot. And then you start talking about Pacific Islanders, the Hawaiian, you know, Polynesian. I, I'm not good with the names and terms there. So forgive me. I think you know what it is that I'm saying. OK, but those people, that last group that I described, their situation to struggle something different than it is for in the Asians in this country, in large part because... <laughs> 
the way the racism played out with the Asians was they were really only letting the best of the best come over. Like you can look at it like, Gabe, and I think this is interesting. You being for California, you would be more familiar with this history probably than most of our listeners, just kind of the outright discrimination and like refusal to allow Chinese people in particular to immigrate into this country, the things that have happened to the Japanese with the internment and everything else. It's a different threat on the West Coast because the population numbers are different. So like, it's much more explicit what was going down there. And you'd be more likely to think about it. The Chinese folks coming over to work on the railroad, being threats to the white folks that were working on the railroads and everything they were doing to try to keep them out and push them out. So when they did decide that they were going to let our Chinese and Japanese brothers and folks from over there immigrate, you just wasn't going to row, row, row your boat, get over here. And they was going to let you in. You needed to have a resume. You needed to have some clear demonstration of what it was that you were going to do. So a lot of what you see with a lot of those high numbers there's a selection bias at play, right? It's not like these are magically the smartest people in the world as much as if you're only taking the smartest ones you can get your hands on, then the sample is going to wind up looking a little bit different when the folks get here. But that becomes even harmful for them because, hey, man, we all know somebody that's got smart parents, but they are up. We all know them. We all know somebody that's got smart parents and they ain't that smart themselves. But everybody thinks you just magically smart because they think all of them are magically smart. And that's a struggle, man, right? Like, as much as I don't like the idea of being patronized because you don't think I'm as smart as I am because I'm black, in functional terms, there are difficulties of people overestimating you and also the damage that it must do to your confidence that all you're doing is coming up short of what people think it is that you are supposed to be, right? Like, it's a real particular struggle that goes on with a lot of folks that are in this group, but a big one is, the group ain't the group. This is something that Latinos have been able to talk about for a long time. A Mexican and a Cuban are having different discussions about different things in a bunch of different ways, right? But what that story is talking about really is our laziness. We got to put you in a group somewhere. And so some folks are being thrown together in a group where their interests ultimately wind up being lost because they don't look like what people think of when they think of the term or the broad heading of the group itself. And so to me, I mean, this seems like an easy solve, right? You just got to break the data out, right? It doesn't seem like it would be that hard for them to do. Somebody just got to be willing to do it. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right. So last week we had this story coming off the holiday weekend about Jock Peterson and Tommy Pham and the disagreement that they had around fancy football, which led to Tommy Pham slapping Jock on the field, right? Open hand slap, the height of disrespect. What did you think about that? Because we didn't have time to get into it. I mean, I just felt like it probably had something to do with something that was said and not so much the league itself, because like the league itself was just the starting point on it. But people do get heated about fantasy football. I just need to know, he just went to the slap. I also thought it was foul that his old team suspended him for that. Man, that's between them. That's between the league. That ain't, you're not the commissioner of the league. You know what I'm saying? We thought it would be a good idea to uh, reach out to the listeners and ask about crazy fantasy football tales. Our first one comes from Rod in D.C. Here it is. So I was commissioner of a league and. We were setting up, you know, the, the rules and everything. And I'm kind of a detailed dude, so make sure, you know, there's actual on paper a rules list of where everything is going on, along with the ESPN rules list where it shows you what the rules are. So we're doing the draft, and one guy 
in the draft asked me about, so how does IR work? And I was like, yeah, it's just a basic IR setup, you know, players down, put them in IR, grab another player without having to lose somebody. Somehow that was confusing to him. So he's like, but I don't understand. How does it work? Like, what does it do? I'm like, just explain it to him. I don't understand. Somehow this is still confusing to him. So after continually asking me, but I don't understand how does IR work, the, devolved into him winning the fight. Now this is through chat. So he's like, all right, forget it, man. Pull up. Where's your house at? Like, he wants me to give my address <laughs> over internet. And I'm like, dude, I'm not giving you my address. Like, we're not, I'm growing. I'm not going to fight you over some stupid, you know, fantasy football stuff. And then he finds me on Facebook. We're in a group together, direct message me and gives me his address. Just pull up whenever you feel like it. And now I'm 6'1", 243 pounds. I know how to handle myself. And I see, and this dude's like no taller than 5'9", probably a buck 50 soaking wet. I'm like, Am I missing something? Like, why Why are we trying to fight over fantasy football? Like, it's literally, I you asked the question, I answered it, and you were, were still asking the same question. IR is very simple to explain. Players down, you can pull somebody back in, pull somebody in without having to lose a player. I don't understand how we're missing this. But it, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the next thing you know, dude's trying to, like, make smart comments and say he wants to fight and stuff. And, there, and it took my man's being like, look, you don't want to trouble with this dude. This dude's former military, you know, MMA fight, stuff like that. You don't want to trouble with him. You might want to just leave us alone. And then he ended up jumping out of the league because he said it was too complex for him. So go figure. <laughs> hey, man, I'm glad he jumped out the league because all I heard is he 5'9", like 150 pounds, and you all big, and he talking about pulling up. Like, does he really want to fight? And my thought was, no, he doesn't want to fight, if you know what I mean. He's like, why fight when you can squeeze? Like, this story could have definitely ended in a fantasy fight football murder and that wouldn't have been very good but that man that dude was feeling stupid and that's 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 the that's the bad news that's the bad news you need to outsource that to somebody you knew him like yo man can you call him and tell him this how it works please please could you do that what is it about my five nine brethren that's always trying to fight yeah because just one more inch and they would like be out of the window of nobody says nothing bad about five ten it's five nine that when we start like casting judgment and aspersion. But you're right, man. Your people need to step it up a little bit. You don't have to prove yourself to nobody. There you go. There you go. Tell them, Gabe. That's right. All right. This next one comes from Ivan in Orlando. I wanted to tell you about the time where I wanted to lay hands on somebody over fantasy football, but didn't quite get a chance to. So a uh, guy that we grew up, I grew up with, he um, asked me to join a, a fantasy football league. This was about a few years ago. And it had about a thirty dollar buy in, you know, first place is uh two fifty and so on and so forth. So uh the season starts, everybody come up with the rules, we everything good. I start off a little shaky, but then after from week five on through the championship, I win every single game after that. Don't lose, blowing people out. It was crazy, doing good. So I end up winning the whole thing, so and I I win the pot, so I Hit the guy up who had who was holding the money, and uh, I say, um, so you want me, you gonna cash out me or what you want to do? Oh, you know I had some fraud on my account, um, so I can't send you money right now. I send it, I get it to you once I get back in town and get and got my card. Okay, I know things happen, so you know no big deal. Um, that was on a Friday. Said he was gonna be back in town Sunday. Okay, Sunday come and go. Didn't hear from him. All right. Monday come and go. Didn't hear from him. Okay. Tuesday come. 
I hit him up. Yo, bro, what's going on, man? Um, what, what's going on with the situation? Oh, you know, um, uh, they they still got my account on on hold, man, and it, it's messing up my bills and stuff like that, man. But I, I'm gonna get y'all. I'm gonna get y'all the money. I'm gonna get you the money. This was uh, he was talking to me and the dude that won for uh, second place. So okay, no no problem, no problem. Week go by, we don't hear nothing from this man. Another week go by, nothing. So I call him. I'm like, bro, what's going on? Oh man, um, I'm still working through it with the bank, um, you know, and I, I mean, I'm going through it right now too, man. I'm late on bills, and they just not allowing me to move, uh, move my money. This what we doing? You know, went out of town and took all our money and spent it on your little vacation or whatever you was doing, and now you don't got no money for the rest of us. And the crazy part about it is, man, I never saw that dude again. I gave him the, I gave him the thirty dollars in cash, and that was the last time I saw him. And it's crazy. So yeah, man, that was one of them times where you want to put hands on somebody because it's like I technically only lost thirty dollars. But still, man, I won. I want my money. Oh, boy, there's nothing better than what you could clearly tell someone is every bit as mad about this as they were when this first took place. He's still here, Gabe. You, 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 you heard the still heated in him, right? Oh, my gosh. He's still looking for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that dude gave my money to Jesus. Ever tell you about that? I think so, but I want to hear it again. I went to college with this dude and we were real good friends. And I hadn't heard from him for a couple of years, but it was in that like period of time where that could happen. Like the social media thing wasn't really cracking like that. And we caught up. He gave me some sob story about what his life had been the last couple of years, but I was glad he got it back together. And then a couple of weeks later, he called me and asked for $200. And it was the rare time I had $200 and I sent him the $200. And then like two weeks later, he asked for my account information so we could put the $200 in and I gave it to him. And I never got the $200. And I swear I didn't hear from that man for like, eight, nine, 10 years. And then finally I see him on the Facebook messenger one day and I'm like, yo, been a long time. He says something like that. And I'm like, yeah, whatever you did, you did with my money. And he's like, well, I mean, I think you should know that, you know, in the time since we spoke, I've given my life to Christ. I'm like, so what do you give him my $200 to? Like what the hell, what, 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 where is it? Cause I don't do this church thing. I could be the one that's wrong. I ain't never heard about nothing in the Bible that say you ain't got to pay me back my money right like like in fact i'm gonna do that i'm gonna go to bible.com and google you don't have to give bomani his money like do a control f and see if i can find that and see if that's what it say but yeah i gave his life to christ and apparently he gave jesus 200 dollars. can you believe that jesus had the nerve to take his 200 dollars? i would think that jesus would be above that myself what jesus need money for i gave my life to christ who'd you give my money to one last one comes from Preston in Chicago. Here it is. Given the topic, and I'm still heated about it, I felt the need to chime in. So let me take it back to 2017. I was actually working for your current employer, HBO, and a good friend of mine who still works for him to this day was commissioner of Fantasy Football League. Rewind to 2012 when I came in as an intern, he convinced me to join the league. I told him, I don't want to join the league. I take fantasy way too serious. Never did fantasy football up until then, always basketball. But I caved after about you know, I guess 20, 30 emails and say, we're going to join the league. We're going to join the league. We're going to join the league. All right, cool. Fast forward five years later, I've been in the championship three years out of five. So three years out of five. That's how good I am. Now, 2017 starts. It's the day before the draft, and I get a call late at night 
saying, hey, you see that the roster had changed from one running back to two? I was like, wait, what? You kidding me? So I hit up the commissioner and be like, yo, man, what's going on? He's like, yeah, we were in talks with a couple other people, and we decided we are going to change the roster. I'm like, whoa, 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 you, you can't do that. First of all, money's been established and paid. Second of all, I'd have done 50 damn mock drafts already for one running back, not two. Now i got to scrap all this? No, 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 no. you got to do it next year, man. What's wrong with you? He ignored my advice, decided to put it in vote the next morning, and enough of these answers in the league said, yes, that's cool, because guess what? They don't do mock drafts because they're lazy. They don't want to win. I do. Money on the table, ready to go, and I want it mine. So I said, screw it. You know what? I'm going to play this year. I'm going to whoop all y'all asses, and I'm going to get to the championship again on y'all, which I did both. Both times. Both times. Unfortunately, I didn't win, though, because I keep losing to a team called Tiny Kittens. Yeah, that's right. I lost to a team called Tiny Kittens every time, but still kidding to this day. To this day. But anyway. Back to the story. Now, I have yet to go back to this league. I don't even know if it still exists, but I stuck to my gun. I got my money out on the second-place team. But at the same time, I swear to God, Bo, if I had found out that night and we had been together, I probably had a knee-jerk reaction to smack the hell out of him. I, and I love this man to this day, 100%. He's my road dog. We still go on the game together. I'm in Chicago. He's in L.A. doing his thing. But, man, oh, man, to be a commissioner, to do some dubious, dirty stuff like that at the last minute and try not to let everybody know, are you kidding me? I'm still to this day, I'll, every time I talk fantasy with him and he tries to ask me for advice for whatever league he is, like, kick rocks, man. Hell no. You ain't getting no advice from me. You need to rewind the clock and figure out what the hell happened in that damn draft, man. Okay. But anyway, I hope you appreciate the story. A uh, long time listening. Peace out. I mean, I think the best part of this is he thinks the other people are crazy. <laughs> they don't do mock drafts. You do mock drafts. I see why you be with it. I give you that. I don't have that will to win that Preston possesses. When it comes to this, yo, gang, I can't imagine how excited you were to hear that voicemail. You were like, oh, yeah, this one's in. And it's going as the last one, too, for sure. <laughs> I was thinking that, too. Like, we're not going to top the energy and passion that Preston brought us in this moment. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the right time. We do this three times a week. Gabe Bassane handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thanks to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Alicia Wallace of CNN. Check out her story about how a 154-year-old company has become one of the biggest players in the cannabis game. Thanks to Steven Zeitchik of The Washington Post. Check out his story about smart guns and how they might save lives. And thanks to Gabe for letting us know the story about Asian Americans and how they've been typecast improperly. Remember, the Right Time Book Club starts June 13th. That is Monday, June 13th. We are reading King of the World by David Remnick. Get to page 168 if you could. It would be greatly appreciated. Howard Bryant will be our first guest for that. So go ahead, check it out. And remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.